Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Black and Blue Pod. I'm your host, Matt McLaughlin, joined alongside by Timmy Gorman. And today we're going to be talking college football, Penn State, Notre Dame. Their seasons are over, for better and for worse. Uh, and we are also going to be previewing the national championship, which will be taking place this upcoming Monday night. So, but before we get to the national championship, we're going to be talking about Penn State and Notre Dame and kind of kind of like reviewing their seasons, doing a little like uh, end of year, end of semester, final final review of their grades. Um, and I guess we'll start with Penn State. I feel like we should start with Penn State because it's my fucking podcast. But uh, yeah, no, because you, I definitely because and it's fresher in the mind. There's also Plus that everyone too. hates Notre Dame. So there's also that, too. Um, so Penn State finishes 11 and two, the first 11 win season since 2019. That's going to get beaten into the ground by Fox and ESPN or whichever broadcast you listen to a Penn State game, too. Um, and coming off a seven and six season, which they finished unranked. And now in 2022, Penn State finishes likely in the top 10. The official rankings haven't been finalized yet because the national championship is still going on. Um, and they win a Rose Bowl game against Utah, which a lot of people were predicting Utah to win and put up 35 points in the process. And their only losses are to Michigan and Ohio State, two of the top four teams that are competing for a college football playoff championship. Um, I'm a, uh, just as a Penn state fan, I'm really happy about this team. As much as people want to bash on Sean Clifford, he deserves so much respect and applause for just this season alone. 64% completion percentage career high eight yards per attempt career high 24 touchdowns career high seven interceptions that's tied with his career low in 2019 which was his really his first year as a full-time starter and 17 sacks taken this season which was again another career low so statistically this was probably Sean Clifford's best season along with the fact that Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen in my opinion this is probably hyperbolic and I'm jumping the gun and pulling the trigger and doing all those things Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen to me look like the new version or the modern version of USC's thunder and lightning halfback uh, combination. Just the way that Singleton can break off long runs, had an 87 yard run in the Rose bowl, which is going to go down as one of his signature moments at Penn state, whether he stays three or four years, whatever it is. Katron Allen. He's a freshman. Oh, both him and Katron are freshmen. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. It is very scary. They combined for 22 touchdowns on the season, which still feels nuts. And it still and, feels like there's untapped potential there, too. And he didn't really start using them until, like, halfway through the season, right? When he exactly. realized that, like, he got to stop letting Clifford throw the ball all the time. Exactly. And so, as this was as good as you can get with, like, would Penn State fans love to compete in a college football playoff? Absolutely. I would – be very ecstatic to go to a playoff game and compete against the SEC teams plus Michigan, Ohio State, et cetera. But until that expansion comes through, the fact of the matter is that Penn State is not going to compete in like a top four format just because the way college football is structured, it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, just these stacked teams and everyone else. And so it's just kind of skewed and it's not going to give – the teams like Penn State, Tulane, who we saw do have an insane comeback against USC. Um, those type of teams, are unfortunately, are not going to get a chance unless they go on like a miraculous run. And even if they do go on a miraculous run, it may turn into a 2018 UCF situation where they don't even get a chance anyway, no matter what, because that's the way the committee views them. So with all that being said, I'm very happy about Penn State season. It definitely takes tough skin. And so that's one thing you can look at Sean Clifford and say he had, right? Is he never threw in the towel. He never said, fuck this, I'm transferring. I'm not, I don't have to deal with this. I'm a human being. I don't have to put up with this. He stuck through it. And I was never a big fan. I know a lot of the Penn State friends, friends, friends I had that are big Penn State fans that went there, just have been fans of the school team from when they were little, never liked them. But they all kind of said the same thing. Like you got to, you got to admit it. Like that the kids, the kids a gamer because he never threw in the towel when he could have so many times. And last year, if he didn't get hurt, you guys might've had a different season. I think it's good for Clifford to go out on a winning note. I think it kind of cements whether or not people want to, how they want to view him. He can say he did it his way. 
He never backed down. He fought until the end, and he goes out a winner, and I think that's awesome for him. I really do. We'll transition now to the Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman's first tr- uh, year as head coach, 9-4. and four. Um, Beat Southern – did you guys – you guys won against Southern Carolina, right? Yeah, we beat South Carolina, uh, despite Tyler Buckner's best efforts to throw as many pick sixes as touchdowns in a game. Uh, yeah, they, they won by um, – it, it was by four. seven. It was by seven. Well, yeah, they, won by, they won by a touchdown at the end. Um, it was actually a good drive, um, but there's it's a, it's a lot of – So how are you feeling about Notre Dame? Now that the season's kind of wrapped up, there was that there was that emergency panic button loss to Marshall that I think people were freaking out about. I don't even know how did Marshall finish? Did they even make a bowl game? Because they had another win too, didn't they? They did have another win, I think. They finished nine and four, third in the Sun uh-huh. Belt. Uh they beat UConn. The Sun, the Sun Belt was good this year. Uh in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Uh Marshall won 24, 28 to 14, excuse me, in the Myrtle uh-huh. Beach Bowl. So you lost to another bowl team. So it's not like it was like some yeah. shitter. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, um, yeah, it's 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 hard to say because it's it was a good win. It was a comeback win, which it in the Marcus Freeman very short uh fourteen game tenure. It's the first double digit comeback win that we've had that he's had. Um, yeah, it was a very, like, up and down kind of like seesaw season. As we said, as I said a couple seconds ago, there was that 0-2 start, panic set in. I think the big thing, and I this is what Tommy Reese really needs to remember, it's what Marcus Freeman needs to re- instill in him, is that not only did they discover, A, like, you know, like, Buckner needs to grow, um, they got – Another decent quarterback coming in, Kenny Minchie, who's a four-star recruit. I'm actually really excited about him. From the tape, he looks like a really good pocket passer. He can use his legs if he needs to. I'm not saying he's going to come in as a true freshman and win the job, but if all things are to believe, be to believed, between tonight and tomorrow, the announcement is coming, apparently, to Sam Hartman has chosen Notre Dame. He's on campus. I'm pretty sure that Marcus Freeman has locked every door on campus and won't let him leave until he signs a letter of intent. This can bode well in many ways. I think that it, it, I think that Buckner, whether they redshirt him, I don't, something, they do something, but I think he needs to learn from someone who is a, a real pocket passer. Now I get that Wake Forest ran a real gimmicky offense in that slow mesh, but I think anyone out there could tell you he still is a pretty elite passer for what he did. Um, you know, he had some really good wide receivers while there, but I think he made them better too. I think they made each other better. So it would be interesting to see what he can be if he does actually commit, like everyone's saying he's going to. Yeah, you should be excited. If you if I was a Notre Dame fan and after that 0-2 start, you tell me, hey, you guys are going to go 7-2 and the rest of the year. You're going to have this, this big comeback in a bowl game against an SEC team. I think most Notre Dame fans would be like, you know what, not the worst thing in the world. No, and and for Marcus Freeman, I think it is so important for Notre Dame to have a black head coach because I think, as we've seen in recruiting, he's having very good success. But I think for him to go out and basically break the stigma, okay, give me one second, I'll finish this point. Sorry, no, go (laughs) for him to break the stigma of Notre Dame being like the Duke of the Midwest of like a primarily white school. And which is so unfair, which is because if anyone ever went to that campus and saw the diversity on that campus, it no, ab- absolutely. I know, I know, not you. I'm saying, anyone yeah, say- yeah, exactly. So, I think for, for recruits to see that as you're getting led by, by, by a black man who's going to teach you not just how to become a great football player, but also be a great person and really grow and develop and at one of the best schools in the country that will hold you to a higher academic standard as an athlete. You don't want to make it about race, but the fact that there is an African-American man who is the leader of one of the most prominent and preeminent football programs in this country. And he's doing everything the way he wants to do it, but which most people would deem is the right way. And I, I certainly think it is says so much about him and just the kind of person he is 
he's a family man. You always see pictures of him and his family. And I agree that that's all this. That is, that is the most important thing out of all of this. Yes. Wins count. Maybe getting a national championship sometime in the next 10 years would be great. All that stuff. But the most important thing is he gets those kids into school. He teaches, he, he has them do the right things, learn the right way so that when they leave that institution, not only do they have a degree from one of the finer institutions in this nation, but they also come out as a better person and human being. And they're, you know, they, they have four years, three to four years of not more of being, of, of learning from somebody who is, for all intents and purposes, a great human being himself. We're going to move on, finally, to the national championship game. Number one, Georgia Bull Dogs against the TCU Horned Frogs. Uh, TCU somehow in the national championship. Don't that? I love this, it. It's I great. It. It's fantastic. It was the best thing for the college football playoff because if there was another another fucking SEC or Big Ten team in this goddamn right. final, I was going to lose we got, it. We got an outlier, right? We finally got an outlier. Someone broke through the broke through the fourth wall. Exactly. So. <sighs> couple directions i kind of want was thinking about going in number one are you concerned about georgia after like they got a nail-biting win didn't look like the georgia that we've seen before i feel like some people are hitting the panic alarm a little bit on georgia but not necessarily sure because like this feels like a different georgia team i know people are saying like back to back and all this type of stuff but this does not remind me of like the national title winning team no just from you gotta, last year. They lost, even though they still have talent they lost so much talent right Mm. I think like I understand Georgia fans yes because they clearly know their team in and out um my Mary's cousin Nikki is a big Georgia fan my brother is too actually weirdly um and I've talked to both of them like just to gauge you know because I know they watch every game yeah and um my if you knew my brother's team teams he liked, you'd be like, "What the hell?" I don't, don't want to anyway, know. I don't want to know. Let's just say the Vikings are one of them too. Anywho, what the so fuck? okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think they like from what they said, and obviously like Georgia Georgia fans who actually know a couple too, ironically, because uh, Mary worked with a girl who went there, and her and her husband are big fans. And I had her text her, and I was like, ask, ask Anna, like, they're all freaking out. Yeah. And she, from what I've been told from the, the few Georgia fans I know in my life, uh, there's a little bit of panic. I think that Will Muschamp's name has been brought up a few times here. Um, you know, he we've seen his body of work at other schools and how great it hasn't been. Um that said, he also was the defensive coordinator for a Texas defense that held not in check, but did a pretty good job against one of the best offenses in the last 20 years. And that USC team, he was the D coordinator for that Texas team with Vince Young. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, I think he was. Pretty sure. I think he was. Anywho. Uh, yeah, I, I mean – it's definitely a little panicky because like you said, the talent's not there. It's not, they don't have that same aura around them. Um, they do still have Brock Bowers, which he is a very good tight end. He's the second best tight end in the country. I'm sorry. You say whatever you want, Georgia fans. Michael Mayer is better than them. He is whatever. If Michael Mayer played in the SEC, everyone would suck a D too, but he doesn't. So whatever. Um, Brock Bauer still is a very good player. He's another one who will be a first-round pick when he comes out. It is what it is. They have some other, like, assets, but – and I know it's, like, taboo to say it anymore, but Stetson Bennett is what Stetson Bennett is, and he can hold you back. And he held them back a little in that first first half last week. Now, he was – he helped lead them back, too. He's a baller. He's a gamer. He's like Clifford. He's never going to throw in the towel. He's probably a little bit better of a passer. I don't know. He's maybe. definitely yeah, like a deep. He ball doesn't passer. make the same mistakes. I guess is what you could say. Yeah, Bennett. Bennett is he's not. He's a better deep ball passer. He's not going to commit as many turnovers. He's not going to be as reckless as Sean Clifford can be sometimes. 
Um, but at the same time, Bennett isn't necessarily going to move out of the pocket and just like fire one down the sidelines and like paint the sidelines and, you know, put it right where it needs to be. It'll, and that's where um, like Georgia really got fucked up in the first half against Ohio state from what I saw, like just rewatching some of the game was he was holding on to the ball for lo- really long stretches of time, which is not how he should be. That's not the best version of Stetson Bennett. The best version of Stetson Bennett is like, get the ball out quickly, um, make quick decisions and get it to your playmakers in open space or use the ground game to make the defense play up and then take the shots over the top after that and know the situations when you have to take the deep shots. So for me, I'm, I was when I was rewatching the Georgia Ohio State game, I was like, okay, I know TCU doesn't have a wide receiver like Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously. But they but, do have some guys on that outside that can that they had some they, they have, have jets on their legs. They have jets on their legs. That, That's that Jaquan how Johnson or something his name is or Quentin Johnson, I believe. Quentin Jaquan is on two was the Tulane guy, I think, or something. Somebody <laughs> he had someone around there. Um so TCU obviously needs to utilize their speed on the offensive side and on the outside to really hit the Achilles heel of the Georgia's defense, in my opinion, which is that defensive backfield. Because that defensive, those defensive backs were struggling against Ohio State, and it wasn't just Marvin Harrison Jr. And C.J. Stroud was scrambling outside the pocket and really making the, the backs cover their guys for long uh, extended periods of time, which I think can really benefit TCU because Max Duggan is not a guy who's hesitant to sling it every now and then. And take chances and stuff like that so with georgia i think they should be not scared of tcu but they have some holes that they need to fill because i don't think that you're going to be able to just pressure max duggan the entire time they're gonna if if georgia brings pressure tcu has some guys that if they call the right a halfback screen or a wide receiver bubble screen at the right time that could break for a long long touchdown and all of a sudden Georgia staring down a seven, seven point deficit, or maybe something happens like the opening against the, uh, against Michigan where TCU's defense generates a turnover and then they take it to the house. And now all of a sudden on the first, first possession or early first drive of Georgia or second drive, Georgia staring down at a tie game or a 14 point hole. So they got some question marks. This is not the same George. This is not the same certainty. Like Georgia's Georgia's the number one team, in my opinion. Like there's a game plan here for TCU to take advantage of. And and I, I this had to be a point. I hundred percent. That's I what you said. I agree with all the way. It, it's very well said. And you're right. Like he is not someone that could sit there in the pocket and just wait to pick you apart. I think he gets himself in trouble because I think he I think he thinks he has a stronger arm than he does. And if you notice, there's a few there's a few throws, including one on the game winning drive that he got away with where he threw it into a window. And I'm like, what the hell was he thinking there? Like threw it. And luckily, the Ohio State linebacker reacted too late and it went right. But it was like he was throwing that ball like someone who can like just sling it. Like who was who he had, had like he he thought he was like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen yeah, just essentially firing that thing. yes he thought he was one of those guys or or Philip Rivers you know back in the day or Herbert he 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 literally was throwing that ball and I think that's where he can get when he stays and like and I said it's taboo to like criticize him because Georgia fans protect him like how much more does this guy need to do and it's right they're, they're right like he won a national championship already he's their quarterback for a reason he's their leader. But there are times, and the, every time that they've been in trouble this year in a game, last week against Ohio State, against Missouri, it's because he has played, he hasn't played within himself. When he remembers to stay calm, stay within himself, take, not take what the defense gives you, like take a little bit more, but look and just know, like, hey, that's not there. I got to get out and either just get some positive yards or throw it away and live to see another day. Make the smart and play. Don't, that sounds, don't take right. any rec, unneeded chances or unneeded. And that sounds boring, but it's not, he's not a game manager. He's a little bit more than a game manager, but he, in essence, he needs to be like a glorified game manager. And that's when George is at its best. When their defense, when their offense 
is doing what they need to do. And they're, you know, they're running the ball. They're hitting bowers over the middle. That is one thing that I wish Georgia did more of against Ohio State was just running the ball. Like Kenny yeah. McIntosh looks like a stud, and he only got seven carries for 50, for 60, 80-something yards and didn't get into the end zone. I'm like, really? Like, if I'm Georgia in that Ohio State game, I'm saying to myself, okay, I want Ohio State's offense off the field as much as possible, and I, I don't want Marvin Harrison Jr. on the field. My defense needs a rest because they're just getting torched right now. That's when you turn the ball to Kenny McIntosh or any other quarterbacks or any other running backs, excuse me. And that's what I felt like Georgia needs needed to do more in order to avoid that nail biting situation. And they definitely have to do that against TCU because I don't think TCU is going to be bringing much pressure in this game. I expect them to really sit back in coverage and like keep all the receivers in front of them. And that's going to leave the box or the middle of the field or the outside open because Georgia was utilizing those read options, those fake jet sweeps to really gash Ohio state's defense. And I think TCU is going to set up similarly where it's going to be a lot of drop coverage um, and not taking many risks to give Georgia's uh, wide receivers a chance on like one-on-one coverage to, to bust a play open wide uh, for a big game. So I'm looking at all those things. And I'm like, like there's some there's some real real questions that I got about Georgia's offense. Real questions. And and they have and and TCU has has two D backs, uh, one in Hodges Tomlinson and the other one in D winners who love to bait quarterbacks into stupid decisions. They did it all night Saturday against uh, what's his name Mac, not McNamara, right? Uh, McCarthy. 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 McNamara was the one that left. McCarthy. Yeah. Um, D Winners was all over that field. He's he him. He's D Winners a stud. He he's, I, he's I don't know dog. how he doesn't get talked he's about. He's so good. He was everywhere you turned around. He was on that field. And um, like you said, I don't understand why they don't run the ball more. Why don't they they, they don't get the ball um, in um, in Kenny McIntosh's hands, I think they need to utilize Adonai Mitchell more too because every highlight you saw was like number five, like boom. Like he was, you know what I mean? Like uh, also the Smith, the number 11, you know, he had three catches for 129 yards. Like he's a, he can be a matchup problem. They get it to him, but they got to pick the right time. And if they run the ball, try to control the line, right? And use McIntosh and Edwards and Milton um, they're, the, they're the three backs. Maybe use a Donnie Mitchell and some jet sweeps or something like that, which I think they could because he's pretty fast. Or some bubble screens and then, you know, hit Bowers over the middle and stuff. I think it's a very good game plan. It keeps Setson Bennett within himself and it doesn't allow TCU's high octane offense to get out there. Like they are, TCU wants you to get into a shootout with them. They want you to be fucking stupid and think, oh, you want to start trading points? Cool. My, my coach or our coach is one of the, you know, main disciples of the air raid offense. You know, he learned from the two best to ever teach it in how mommy and Mike Leach, like he, that's exactly what he wants you to do. They want you to think you're smart enough to get there or big enough to get into a shootout and they will burn you all day long if they need to, because they have, not only do they have a quarterback that is a, just a gamer and is a baller and will take the shots and can run and can pass, but they have two excellent running backs in DeMarcado and Keandre Miller. And then, as you already said, they have Quentin Johnson, they have Hudson, and then you can also string DeMarcado out onto the outside and if you need to. And Max Duncan, Max Duncan is a great runner himself for what he is. And you wouldn't said to look at him as white ginger, like tell me this guy. No, he's a really good runner. He's very good at getting yards when he needs to and went on design run plays. And what got Georgia into trouble last week, if you remember, Matt, watching those highlights, anytime CJ Stroud got outside of the pocket and had to use his legs, it is when they got so many of their big plays. Is when he got outside. It was like Monday with USC and Tulane. Every time, you know, Caleb Williams was really good that game anyway. He burned them every time he got outside of that pocket and was able to use his legs and throw on the run. C.J. Stroud did the same thing with Georgia. When they were able to keep him corralled, okay. Duggan, 
can throw from the pocket, probably I think a little bit better. I think CJ Stroud is extremely overrated. I, I just don't know when we're going to stop with these Ohio State quarterbacks and the love they get. That said, Duggan can get out. He can stay in there. He can run. They are potent. They, they, and, and it's not just those guys at a mission. It's not just DeMarcado and Miller and Johnson and Hudson and, 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 and Duggan. They will have a guy that you just haven't even heard of burn you for like five catches and a, a buck 50 because this is the air raid. Everyone matters. Everyone has speed. And there was every time Michigan got back into that game last week, it was like, boom, no, nope, I'm just going to hit, I'm going to hit Quentin Johnson over the middle for a catch. He's going to put on the Jets, boom, turn and go touchdown. Oh, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit Demarcado. We're going to run draw play. He's going to be patient. He's going to hit the hole, hit to the outside, 50 yards. He's gone. Like they love a big play. They're not going to be scared. Sonny Dykes is the perfect coach for this. He's not going to be scared from the moment. His, it's the way he was raised. His dad is one of Texas Tech's greatest coaches of all time when he was alive. He learned from two of the coaches who were the original don't give a fuck, screw the establishment coaches and how mummy, and especially in the great, you know, recently deceased Mike Leach, RIP, you know, and I think I read something where like Sonny Dykes is like, this is great. And I love this from my players and everything, but I wish my dad and Mike were around to see this. And I think, I think he's got some extra incentive to not only win this game for TCU and all the underdogs, but to win it for some, to win it for Mike and his dad, but especially for the advocates of the air raid to say, to stick it in all those people's faces for years. We're like, it's a gimmick offense. You can never win with it. It's this, it's that it's blah, blah, blah. But look at all these offenses now and how many of them stolen their concepts from the air raid. But for years they sat there and they shat on Mike Leach and all these guys that wanted to do it, like Art Bryles. But he, 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 this is Sonny Dykes is carrying the torch for not just himself, for not just TCU, for not his father, but for all of those little guys and all those air raid disciples. And I honestly would not be surprised if TCU won this game. So do, and, is that your fact, prediction? I want, or is TCU, I want TCU to win this game. I think everyone that isn't a Georgia fan wants TCU to win this game. And I think it's a matter of realistically – Right. That's nothing against Georgia either, because they're one of the few SEC teams I don't mind outside of obviously yeah. my love for Vandy. They're one of the few teams. But A, because I think it would just be so great to have someone from outside of the establishment win. And especially, B, especially when he's a, a Mike Leach disciple. Yes. Like said. Yes, so. exactly. It would be so great because Mike never got that chance. Mike Leach never got that chance. I'm saying calling him by his first name like I know him, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Coach but Leach. also – B, should just give the middle finger to the fucking SEC. Oh, it would yeah, just, God, it would be so great just to sit there and all those fucking losers chant SEC, SEC. And it's like, you're a loser. You're like, oh, I just, oh, God, I would love it. I would love it so much just to watch TCU go in there and just bait them into a shootout and just win this game like 52 to the 30. I would just love every minute of it. They did it. Whether they can, I don't know. I don't know if the luck has run out. I don't know if Georgia is going to just have this game plan. But I'm sorry. If Missouri can hold, can keep Georgia like down for most of the game, I, TCU has to be able to. I, I, I think TCU I think it's going to be a, a really good game. I, I think, think, TCU, I think it's going to be really good. It definitely will be a really good game. It'll be an interesting matchup of two different, like polar opposite teams almost. Um, and yeah, like, I think that this is going to be when Georgia's offense kind of sputters out. And I think TCU, if any team out of the playoff teams can take advantage of three and outs, turnover situations, convert or turnover on downs, it's TCU. And so I'm like, I've talked myself into TCU winning this game, basically. Their defense isn't terrible either. Like they exactly. won a couple, like they beat Texas in a defense game. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so they, if they need to, they can you know, win that way. They can win ugly if they need to. But I think Georgia is going to come into this game and they're going to be like, okay, let's see that shit work against us. And they are going to be in for the surprise of their life because they, I'm sorry, they, they won't. If CJ Stroud was giving them trouble on the run, this offense is going to give them so much goddamn trouble. And, you know, Michigan wasn't a slouch. 
They weren't a bad team. They fucked up that, that Ohio State team that just gave Georgia all they could handle. Now, I know that whole, like, this team beat this team, and then they lost it, like, that, like, the, the college you know, football math. Yeah, it doesn't, it's like, well, you beat them, who lost to them, so that must mean you're better, like, that shit. Yeah. No, that doesn't, it never has. But it's, it, it's, it's good, it's proof. It's an outlier to say, like, hey, you know, for Michigan, Michigan couldn't even, couldn't, could not stop these guys, but they knew how to stop C.J. Stroud. You guys had trouble stopping them, like, so there's got to be some sort of tape there, but that and Sonny Dykes isn't stupid. I guarantee you, he has broken down that Ohio State Georgia game every which way by now, trying to find ways that his team can exploit them and take advantages. And fuck it, TCU is winning this game. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm on the TCU train. TCU, I'm on the fucking go Horn Frogs. Go Horn Frogs. And that's it, Horn Frogs for life. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm down for it. I'm down for riding with the Horn Frogs. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a high scoring game. I think it's gonna be like forty to twenty seven or something. I think like it's that. gonna be very reminiscent of the first ever college playoff final when Oregon again the Oregon Ohio State game. Oh yeah, people Ooh. forget that that was like a pretty high scoring game, and if not for like three dumb decisions by Mariota, one like one by Mariota and like a fumble, Oregon won would have won that game. All right, that he playing out of his mind for God knows how long. True. Uh, all right, final score. Okay, I'll go TCU 37, Georgia 30. I think it's going to be a one-score game. I'm going to say TCU 45, Georgia 38. No, no, that's oh. too bad. Georgia 41. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, last thing. I don't know. Do you still want to rant about fans of conferences rather than actual teams? Yeah. I'll, oh, so we're – oh, actually that game was more of a blowout than I remember, 42 to 20. Yeah. That or the Oregon. I was going to say. Oh, no. You know why? It was a 28 to – Um. It was 28-20 in the third, and then or and then Ohio State scored two touchdowns, and Oregon didn't do anything. So it was uh, only an eight-point game going into the third. And then I believe Mariota, they were driving, if I remember correctly, and he threw a he threw a really costly pick, and it and then when they were trying to hold him oh, to, to come back in, Zeke broke yeah, one. But yeah. some in some way, something like that. No, happened. yeah, 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 for sure. I remember watching that game in my apartment and just sitting there, and that not with Mary, but with the, with my ex at the time. And even her just looking at me and being like, I'm going to take the remote and turn this <laughs> off. You're angry right now. <laughs> and even she got it. And she just like goes off and just gets a beer from the fridge and brings it back. And she's like, calm down. It's okay. <laughs> I was so angry that Ohio state won that game. Cause they never should have been in that final. They, they won it. Yeah. Well, Baylor and TCU were the better teams that year, but regardless. Anyway, so anyway. as Matt was saying, uh, I, I was I had a couple conversations when that game was going on, the TCU Michigan game, with some people, and some of them, like my my uncle, who's you know up in there getting up there, but he he's gotten this bug of like 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 the conference shit where like he was like, no, Big Ten all the way. I'm like, so you're telling me you'd rather have you're he's a Penn State guy, went to Penn State, went to Notre Dame, then Penn State, and it's like but rides everything Penn State. Yeah, I'm like, so you'd rather see your two biggest rivals win because of wow. conference power? It's like big ten all the way. And it just got me thinking of just like all and they're out there. It's not just that, it's not just them, it's not just the SEC fans are like SEC, SEC, and it's like yeah, because you go to fucking Mississippi State and you're never going to win shit unless it's baseball. Like, And that's what, one of my other reasons I love Vandy because they're the only school that doesn't buy into that shit. They're the only one in that conference that doesn't ever buy into that shit because they don't need to because they don't, they don't look at it that way. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I, I just, I, I'll never understand that. A fan base being like, SEC, SEC. It's like when you're a Tennessee fan watching Georgia or Florida win national titles while your team has sucked for the last three decades. You know what I mean? Minus this year. 
So there's that. There, there's the, the there's the let's root for the conferences, even if it's our, our most hated rival, because we can at least say, whoa, the winner came from this. It's like, no, the winner didn't come from your conference. The winner came from a team in your conference. It's not a conference national championship. The only reason you should be saying that is because you get more money to spread around. That's the only reason you should care. All right. So that that brings me to my next one. Texas fans. Just because you beat Oklahoma for the first time in God knows how long or really beat them, you might have, they might have won a couple of Red River rivalries besides this past year over the last decade or so. I can't remember. But just because you smacked them for the first time in a long time, don't sit there and try and shit on Oklahoma and be like, oh, where were you guys this year? Um, okay, they had one down year because their scumbag of an ex-coach left for more money, which, okay, that's fine, and took all of his recruits and half of your roster with them. And your new coach, who is a very good coach and has been one of the best defensive coordinators in college football history for the last three, like, no, I don't know, what you say, decade maybe, decade plus, two decades, Brent Venables? Yeah, because probably for the 2000s. Yeah. he was yeah. at Oklahoma. So he's a good coach. And to sit there and be like, oh, he's, no, okay. Oklahoma in a down year. They'll be, they'll be fine. So just because you got them one year, that doesn't take away from the fact that you guys haven't fucking mattered since Obama's first administration, okay? You haven't mattered since Colt McCoy was your golden boy. And that tells you everything you need to know about the state of Texas, okay? Same thing goes for my fan base. Reality check, okay, guys? Every one of you assholes that wanted Marcus Freeman gone after 0-2, shut up. You don't get a say for another year, okay? And don't tell me it's because you thought he's a bad coach. It was because he was black. And I don't want to hear anyone to say otherwise. I know how these Notre Dame people think. I've been around so many of them since I was born, since the day I was born, because my dad and three uncles went there. So all of my life, I've been around Notre Dame people. Some of them are very nice. Some of them are just pompous fucking douchebags that don't, that, you know, only see color and certain other things. You wanted them gone. You never would have said that about Weiss or Brian Kelly or any of this shit, okay? So shut up. He's here to stay. He, our hands are way better. Our programs are in way better hands than they ever were with Brian Kelly, regardless of the winning seasons. I have faith that we can win a national title with Marcus Freeman. I never thought we could do that with Brian Kelly. Cool. It was fun to win 10, 11 games. I did like that. But knowing that we were never going to win a title, that's that. So back off Marcus Freeman. Tommy Reese. Yes, he can get some, but also don't act like he wasn't our savior. It's, then he didn't save a couple seasons for us back when he was a player. So while I'm a big Tommy Reese naysayer, I still think he like we owe it to him as a fan base to give him a little bit more time to learn. You know, we'll see. No, Alabama that's... fans, stop fucking crying about anything, okay? You have a coach, and your coach specifically. Because there's one year you didn't get in, all of a sudden, all of your excuses matter. But any other year when anybody uses an excuse, it's like, oh, that doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. All right? Your team wasn't as good this year. They were still really good, but they weren't as good. But don't sit here and bitch and be like, NIL and this and blah, blah, that. Because that's fucking bullshit. When Nick Saban said that about, went out there and made that comment about Jimbo Fisher, that was purely so his boosters would go and give him all the money in the world to go and steal everybody else's recruits. So he did exactly what he he was bitching about with Jimbo and all these other coaches doing it. But when Nick Saban does it, it's okay. But when other people do it, he goes on ESPN, has his 60-minute interview, and he's like, and I just think it's not fair how some of these college coaches are treating this system. I'm like, poor me, I'm Nick Saban. Screw you, okay? You don't get any pity from me. Your fans, reality check. You had one bad year. I don't want to hear it. Don't cry wolf. You just stole half of your recruiting class from other schools after your coach bitched that he, it's not fair because some co some colleges just pay all the players. That's exactly what you went and did. Shut up. And, and it just goes on. So my, I think my last really big one would have to be that everyone that is hating on Deion Sanders needs to it, – It's and it's kind of similar to the Marcus Freeman thing in, in, in ways, but – Sit down and shut the fuck up. 
I didn't hear any of you complaining last year when Lincoln Riley did this. He's like, oh, look at Lincoln Riley. Look, he's just a go, he's just a go-getter. He's just out there and he just doesn't care. And he doing it his way and he's gonna restore USC and good for him. He, you know, he didn't he didn't care what, what people were gonna say and do about him. Look at Lincoln. He, he's taking Caleb Williams and he's making USC great again. Deion's, Deion does it and he goes, shut the fuck up and sit down. Oh my God, why do we have to hear him talk? Well, he's so annoying. He's so arrogant. He's so this. No, he's doing exactly what Lincoln Riley did. But you know what the difference is? Deion's a man about it and he's honest and he does it and he gets in your face. When he went out there and had that press conference where he told the current players either get in the transfer portal or get ready, it wasn't him trying to tell those kids they weren't good enough. It was him saying, we're coming and we're going to make this team and restore this program back to what it was in the 90s, where it deserves to be, because you haven't been living up to the standards that this program should be expected to live by and was living by for almost two decades in the 80s and 90s and the first couple of years in the 2000s. Colorado was a program. They were a player year in and year out. And they have the facilities, they have the money, they have the boosters to do that. And unlike Lincoln, Nebraska, where no one wants to go play, people actually want to go to Boulder. It's a beautiful, beautiful campus. Like, and now you have this coach who's got this charisma and he's got the knowledge and he's got the history. Oh, and you remember, oh, you know what else? Oh, he's just one of the greatest defensive backs to ever play the goddamn game. So like, why wouldn't you want to go play for him? And unlike people like Dabo and Lincoln and Saban, I actually think he means it when he says he's going to make these guys into men. He's not just out there and, he, you know, yeah, these, this team is going to have swag. They're probably going to get a little annoying talking shit and get in your face. But guess what? Every other team does that. Alabama does that with everything. Fucking Caleb Williams wrote Utah on his and, – and it's like, sure, he got shit for it, but I, not as much shit as I guarantee you if a Colorado player does that next year where he comes out and talks trash. Everyone's like, calm down, buddy. You guys were 1-11 last year. Okay, USC was fucking four and eight last year, but no one brought that up this year. Oh, it's Lincoln, Lincoln. No, just shut up. Just leave it alone. Dion is great. He's doing it his way, and he's he's doing it honestly. He's not lying. He's not high. He's not being sneaky about it. He's coming out and telling me, I'm bringing Shador. I'm bringing Travis Hunter. I'm bringing this person. You either man up or leave. I only want ballers on my team. I want men that are willing to bleed and fight to make this program what it should be again. And that's what I love about Dion. He's truthful. He says it how he is and he means it. And I, and when he's not just bringing those kids there to just play football, he's going to make sure they're in the classroom. He's going to make sure they're doing the right thing. He's going to make sure that he, when he tells their mother and father that he's going to look at them, he's going to do that. And you know that because he says this and he means it. And I believe that when Dion says it. And I just, I just need to stop. The hate needs to stop. He, he's a national treasure, first of all. The dude is one of the greatest athletes we'll ever see in our lifetime. After Bo Jackson, he's, one of, he's the best two-sport athlete ever. So with Dion, I get what you're saying with the, the criticism and stuff. Some of it, most of it is ridiculous. It is, I do understand if people want to make the argument that I, well, not make the argument. I shouldn't say that. I think the, the key difference between Lincoln Riley and Dion is that Dion's coming from an HBCU to a major program, whereas Lincoln Riley was going from one major program to another. Well, that's been the biggest difference, whether that's just that's a fact, right? So, but I, do you think have you heard people like mention that? I, I, I've heard I, from the way I take it, is people are just pissed that he's like, he's just that he's just like getting all these guys and he's being like, he's like stealing players essentially. And that's what I'm saying where it's like Lincoln, Lincoln did the same thing. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. That's, you, that's what I mean. Yeah. Utilizing the trend. No. Yeah. Like when I remember when, like when, Oh, there was all the clips coming out on Instagram and Twitter of like Dion's introductory press conference and him going to the locker room and stuff like that. All those clips were coming out and it was like, Oh shit. Dion's setting the tone right now. And he's, he is basically saying shit or get off the pot. And I understand why he's doing that. I understand that he's, like you said, he's trying to change a culture and change how that program operates. And I agree. Like he's doing the same thing that Lincoln Riley did. He's bringing his old guys from his former program to the new program. 
and there shouldn't be much of a difference. But I think that people people had this idea in their heads that like Dion was going to be at Jackson State for like ten years, fifteen years. And yeah, was that gonna... too. I don't get like the Bomani Jones like trying to say that he quit on Jackson State and like black people as a whole, and it's like. So, all right, Bomani, yeah. what are you doing about it? Just writing articles, which don't get me wrong, Bomani's a great writer, and he's probably done way more for. He's a great person. He, he's a great wrote. personality, but this is the problem when athletes and media, where athletes and media butt heads, is that like right. media throws these unfair assumptions on these athletes and these unfair conclusions, and on they these coaches think, and athletes, coaches and athletes too, exactly, and. These at the those perceptions, those assumptions, those conclusions are how the fans interpret those athletes and coaches because the athletes and coaches don't really speak out about them because they don't want to fan the flame even more, mm-hmm. fan the fire. And because so much stuff gets taken out of context, exactly like that, exactly. like that press conference literally got chopped and chopped to bits and taken out of context. And like I said, that wasn't him saying, You guys suck, leave my team, it was saying. If you don't want to be a man and make this program better, I have no time for you. Exactly. And I personally, I loved it. I was like, fuck I do yeah. too. It's that, like, it's that's great. what you want. That's what that's... you should be. That's what you should want to. That's, that's a coach you should want to play for. Why would you not want to be better? How can you be okay with going one and 11? And I'm not saying these players were. I think it was a, it, it, it was because it was a very bad hire on the, the athletic department's part, bringing in Carl Durrell. No offense to Carl Durrell. I'm sure he's a great guy, but he he's proven he is not a real head coach. Maybe he's a coordinator or a special teams or something like that, or a position coach. He's not a head coach. Can't do it. He got lucky in that COVID year and had like a six and one team. They went to the Alamo Bowl and then got absolutely enrolled by an okay Texas team. You know what I mean? And then they've been shit ever since. It, and it, it's you know, and Rick George, the AD at Colorado, finally woke up and did the right thing and realized I can't keep letting us be bad because if I do, we're going to get so far left behind when all this realignment stuff happens, we're going to be not in the power five or like one of the power conferences. And I think it also got to the point too. And I said this to you that when their, their basketball program was starting to become a little bit more prominent because it just landed three top 100 recruits and has another solid team this year with a bunch of young players, including their point guard, KJ Simpson. And they've had people drafted the last like three or four drafts. I think he kind of saw that. He's like, there's no reason our basketball program should ever be bigger than our football program. You know what I mean? And I think maybe there was a little bit of that. Like that's not the whole reason, but I think maybe someone kind of said like, and that's no offense. The basketball, it's good. They should be. Like, yeah. I'm happy that. Like, I'm glad Tad Boyle's finally getting his due. The but, ideal situation is that all your sports programs yes. are good, right? And yes. so it's like, it's like, okay, if the basketball team is good, that means we have evidence of like we can generate some buzz and and draw some fans in. So how can we apply like some of the stuff that the basketball team is doing well to the football team? And that right. starts with the head coach because the head coach at this point, if I've learned anything from hearing from Trent Dilfer on Ryan Rosillo or um, other coaches in other media outlets that they trust. It's like the head coach is not as important to like the day-to-day process, but it's so important to the management process of like, of like a CEO of like making sure that like everyone's at the right position at the right time. And that the whole operation is, op- is moving smoothly as a whole. And so like, a head coach isn't necessarily going to be as one-on-one close with like the wide receivers coach or the linebackers coach, like the positional coaches. And so, but the head coach sets the tone for the culture and how the team really believes in themselves and how they view the, the, the belief to like that they can succeed in the first place. And that's what Colorado needs more than anything is someone to say like, no, this is not how we're doing this. Like, wiping the slate clean we're going to get rid of all of the all of the um the people that aren't dedicated and aren't fully invested i want people who want to thrive and succeed in this program and so if you want to be here if you want to win fine you're more than welcome to be here but if not get the fuck out because we're not allowing that shit so and that's i would i would have my my son play for a guy like that any day of the week 
And exactly. like I said, like there's no reason that program should be bad. They have enough money. They can get enough money for boosters. They, the campus is absolutely beautiful. It's even like, there's a good, there's a 30 for 30 about Colorado about what, from when they were good. It's called the gospel according to Matt. I recommend people go watch it. Kind of explains like, A, what college football was like in the eighties and nineties, but how it's about how he took this program that was shit. Bill McCartney. Bill McCartney is his name. Thank you. And slowly built it up and was about to get fired because the first three years were a bomb. And then he kind of started turning it around and he was like, and in it, he goes, I can, he's like, I can out recruit any, I can out recruit most things you have. You give me a recruit and I bring them here and I just sit them down and he goes, I can sell, I can sell Boulder over Lincoln, Nebraska any day. I can sit down and be like, take a look at this. And he's like, he's like, it's a shot where he would like have recruits go look. And it's like this beautiful, like picture of like the campus and the Rockies in the backdrop and just like this awesome like look. I mean, yeah, most football players aren't going to be like, oh my God, that's beautiful coach, but they're going <laughs> to look at it and be like, yeah, this is way better than those three, three million cornfields I drove by when I went to visit Nebraska. You know what I mean? No. So exactly. that, that said, and obviously I know that that's not what Lincoln looks like, but the point is. That's pretty close to it. The campus yeah, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure like it's not far off from what I've been told from people who have visited. <laughs> the campus is beautiful, and there's a tradition there, and they can build on that. And not, not only that, they have this, they have a stadium that's kind of unique, but they can pack it. They have that, they, they did that big ramp at the end that I think they should do something like it's, it's a cool look, but I, I think they should do something like they should renovate it kind of like how Oklahoma State did with that Oklahoma State's look. If people aren't familiar, you know how they had that like big wall on the one end zone, like when they did like the renovations. I yeah. always thought that was like really cool looking how they have that where it's just like this huge, almost like right field wall in the one oh, end zone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just think it's a really cool build because it kind of like makes it feel like a little bit more. And I feel like if maybe Colorado could do something like that because then it makes you feel like the fans are more on top of you. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they have one of the coolest, if not the coolest, game traded game day tradition there is when with the running of Ralphie starting in the game. Like, oh, yeah. you have a live male or female Buffalo that they just have run out onto the field. That's awesome. Like, that's such a cool tradition to just sit there. Like, how could you not get pumped up just watching this awesome, majestic, enormous, powerful creature just run crazy around the field and then you run out behind them with? all these fans just going nuts and cheering for you and i'm pumped man i can't wait